This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets, where we look at all the financial news of the past week and work out what it means for you. I'm Dan from Shares, and with me is Laura from AJ Bell. Hi. So today we're going to look at what happens when your fund manager leaves you, what's happening with house builders and house prices, and how we can all invest in unicorns. Joining us this week is Simon Malika, a fund manager at AJ Bell. Hi. So Dan, let's start by having a quick look at what's happened in the markets. Give us a little update on what's happened this week. Well, it's been another volatile session, I'm afraid. Um, so FTSE 250, which is about half of which is UK domestic uh, companies, that's down about 2.3% amid the dreaded Brexit fears. We had the US market, it's also been bad, with NASDAQ down about 3.6%. Um, that's a tech sell-off. Um, but if you remember last week, I was talking about snakes. Well, Boston Scientific clearly listened to our podcast because they've subsequently made a 3.3 billion pound takeover for BTG which is the company as I was talking about so um, I saw this I was very excited that your snake news had hit the mainstream press it's, I was utterly amazed and uh, quite surprised because it, you know, it's one of those stocks where I don't think many people have been sort of seeing it as a takeover target but um, but that's certainly that was the week's best riser um, we had Indivior which is the worst one down 55% um, it's uh, specialises in opioid addiction treatment and one of its rivals has um, has been trying to put out a generic version of its product. Uh, There was a court injunction to stop it doing it and that's now been lifted so um, investors are panicking at shares in an all-time low. Uh, But the one one company they did perhaps caught my eye was Entertainment One. You may know that um, is best known as the is the majority brand owner of Peppa Pig, um, but actually it's been suffering from the demise of DVDs. It's taken a fifty-seven million pound hit because um, it's got loads and loads of DVDs sitting in a warehouse, which are now worth a lot less money. Um, it's either going to have to scrap them or recycle them. Not quite as bad as Burberry burning its own clothes, I guess. <laughs> but um, but if you if you wondering if you get next time you go into a charity shop, you see all those so many dvds everywhere it's it's kind of indicative of what's going on in the market we're all streaming stuff these days over the internet rather than buying physical products so do you have a dvd player still i have a dvd player a vhs player but i don't have a betamax one (laughs) (laughs) what about you simon still watching dvds um not overly no i wouldn't say so i'm probably streaming like like most most other kids are these days (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Counting yourself among the kids there, I like it. Um, yeah, well, for Peppa Pig, surely the problem is that lots of this stuff is just on YouTube that you can watch it. I mean, I'm not a Peppa Pig fan myself, but yeah, well, I think that I think the problem is not with Peppa Pig. It's more a case it it it's, um, it produces and it owns the rights to distribute a lot of uh, a, a wide range of films. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, there's some very low quality. Uh, productions on there one may argue but um, there's certainly certain things that just people aren't aren't buying anymore so it has to sort of make adjustments to its accounts to reflect the value of its assets and then kind of stepping away from markets and looking a bit more closely at house builders you've been looking at them this week Dan so we've had more warnings on house price falls this week and we're a nation that continues to be obsessed with property but what effect is that having on on house builders in the market so 
poor old house builders, they've had a pretty rubbish year overall. If it wasn't bad enough about Brexit, there's some really nasty bits of um, house price survey data out. I mean, Rightmove is the latest one, showing a 1.7% drop in November uh, for asking prices. That's the biggest drop in prices for that month since 2012. Um, actually, year-on-year basis, prices are down not. 0.2% in November, which is the first negative annual reading for seven years. So understandably, anyone holding house prices in their portfolio, uh, sorry, house builders, I should say, in their portfolio has had a terrible time. You know, you've got some big names like Chris Nicholson and Taylor Wimpy. These are down 30, 40% on the year. Um, you know, they've got some people that are clearly worried about what's going on here. Um, so I don't know if if anyone's currently in the in the sort of in the market to be buying a house price, but I certainly know when I walk around my streets where I live in South East London, loads are for sale signs, but there's nothing that's saying sold. I so I'm actually currently one of these one of these sellers at the moment. So I'm trying to sell my place at the moment, and one of the big things that estate agents have been saying to me is the drop off in buy to let investors has had a massive impact on the market so obviously we saw that stamp duty surcharge come in and various tax changes for buy to let investors and what estate agents have been telling me because I um, own a flat at the moment um, which would be the prime kind of buy to let investment um, they've been saying that whole chunk of people have kind of moved away from that market. I think that's definitely seems to be the case in the right move study that they were making reference to exactly that point um, you know on, on one side you've got supply of housing is quite tight interest rates are still kind of affordable unemployment's low and wages are actually rising so really should be quite good conditions for for you know anyone looking to to participate or invest in the in the property market but actually it's it's this buy to let which really seems to be having a problem loads of people sort of pulling out or or less interested in, in taking part and ultimately that feeds through to negative sentiment towards house building stocks People seem to want to own them for dividends, but actually, I think you do need to think about the capital as well. So, so you have to think about um, the share prices as well as your income if if you're invested in um, house building stocks. Even Right Move itself, which is like a property portal for people, um, that's often considered defensive. That in harder times, estate agents will advertise more. Um, they're trying to they're trying hard harder to push marketing, get products selling. Um, you know, I'm sure if you actually had a look at Right Move um, share price, it's still going to be caught up in all the all the sort of the, the weakest concern about what's going on. So first-time buyers are one of the bright spots on the market, though, and that they have actually been increasing in numbers. So I don't know if it's enough to counteract the the shortfall from buy-to-let investors, but um, the government stamp duty break so far has handed £426 million worth of um, tax breaks to first-time buyers. So that's the amount of money they would have paid in stamp duty before the break. So I think that's giving people a bit of a leg up onto the ladder. So that's maybe one bright spot in the market, but I'm not sure how much that's going to help house builders. Yeah, well, there's some other data which is probably worth picking up on. Uh, a report by HSBC that they were predicting in a no-deal Brexit situation could see th- up to 30% nationwide fall in house prices. Um, and actually, that would be a 50% fall in house builder volumes. I mean, that's kind of a worst-case scenario and seems quite dramatic to me. But, um, you know, let's face it, we, as, as you were saying earlier, Laura, we are a nation who loves to talk about property, and I, I just can't see this um, changing it in any time soon. It's going to be even more on our radar, I think, until we get some certainty about what is going on with Brexit. So on to our next subject, we're going to have a look at um, fund managers, kind of what happens when you, if you're invested in a fund and 
fund manager leaves or, or goes to work for somewhere else and sets up on their own. Um, how do investors deal with that? So Simon, you're going to be our expert on this. Is it a, a topic that comes up quite often in conversation? Um, I think it does, yes. Uh, at the moment, we've seen a few recent uh, announcements of either kind of fund managers moving, retiring, or even corporate actions when um, asset management firms buy asset management firms. So it's something we definitely take um, a lot of notice of. Uh, the highest profile announcement most recently made was probably um, Ian Spebri um, of Fidelity, um, where it was announced recently that he plans to retire by the end of the year. Um, so that was quite a big one. Um, but I think if, if we take a little step back, and interestingly, actually, one of my first studies I did when I joined the industry back in 15 years ago was studying the longevity of fund managers. Um, and our study showed, uh, we looked at a subset of funds, um, around about after three years, we noticed that about 50% of funds had a different fund manager, which is, is quite stark. And actually, if you extended that out to five years, it was more like 70% of funds had a different fund manager. So you can really tell the kind of volume of amount of um, fund managers that do really move. And that does cause um, a big problem area and challenge to fund selectors. So do you know of those, because those are pretty massive figures. So of those, how many were where the fund had been kind of underperforming and so the fund manager had been shuffled on and how many were where the fund manager had decided to move to another company or retire or? Yeah, we didn't quite go to those depths of, um, within our study, but I think it's probably um, a range of, of all those really between retiring, being attracted to new positions in new firms because you had done well, or actually underperforming and having to replace that manager. Um, and of course, once one leaves, then that frees up a position and you, you can sometimes get this type of rotation where a few then end up rotating around. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the problems this causes for us is when we look at investments, we always talk as an industry of being long term. And, you know, Warren Buffett very famously talks about he loves to hold companies forever. Well, we as fund selectors ideally would like to do the same. But obviously, these challenges that we're referring to today permit us to do that. And actually, that's not a viable option. Um, but then I guess that begs the question as to, to what do we do? So I think the first thing we consider is that we have to look at this situation by situation. There's no kind of one catch-all response mechanism to um, a piece of news because every news is different. As we were um, referring to earlier, you know, it may be a retirement, it might be someone moving. Um, it also depends on their situation, the environment they manage within, what asset manager they work for. Is it a big team base? Can they um, deal with one departure and replace that person easily? Or is it a star manager? And in that case, probably you would be very concerned about that fund. Um, the one thing we do within our research really is whenever we start due diligence on a fund um, and when we do that due diligence from the start to the end, we start to think about what would cause us to sell this fund before the event. And that actually counteracts any behavioural instincts you may have um, when something happens. So when you get the news, it's very easy that um, you might um, consider, oh, m maybe it's not a massive impact and talk, talk yourself out of the situation. But actually, if you had thought about what would trigger you to sell it in the first place, then hopefully you can um, challenge yourself um, from a behavioural stance. So we do. We think a lot about um, what would be the challenges to this position? What would challenge our conviction level on it? Um, so we're kind of already prepared if something was to happen. And if indeed we want to move away from that fund, then we've usually highlighted where we would want to um, place capital with after. So is that the kind of thing that investors should be thinking about? Should they be kind of 
almost preempting if they're investing in a fund what would make them sell and if that manager left would they sell and should they be asking themselves these questions the I same think, way that professionals do i think that's an absolutely great point and i think they definitely should be i think it speaks to the truth that when you do your initial research in a fund you don't stop after purchase. Um, there is continual ongoing due diligence that is required um, at every step of the way um, to ensure the fund is not only um, continuing to manage in the same philosophy that you thought it would and you understand how it behaves, but actually it's the same people steering the ship as well. So I think that's very important. Well, so when you invest in an individual company, I don't think anyone expects the CEO to be in the job forever, do they? They kind of expect there's a natural turnover. Um, surely with a fund, don't they don't surely think the same? It, you know, after all, it could someone is simply there doing their job, and we, they aren't. We aren't going to stay in the same place forever, are we? So, yeah, I, I think um, I'd probably say it's slightly different in the fund management industry, and I think what you're highlighting is probably the correct way of thinking about it and there's many companies that do it well and um, we spoke about Ian Spreby retiring and I think that's a great example um, Fidelity have been planning um, his retirement for many years um, they haven't shied away from um, the elephant in the room um, it was clear it would happen at some stage and they planned for it they planned for it very very well um, the fixed income department of Fidelity is a is a is a big um, department now and helped grown by Ian Spreby and I, th I think they're ready and they've shown um, willing to be able to plan successfully for the future. Um, sadly, not all investment companies do the same. And actually, when there is a star management culture and there's no team behind that one individual and really their name is on that fund, then actually it's very difficult to slot someone else in to replace that. Um, but I think the Fidelity one was a good example of um, strong succession planning. I wonder how many... You know, famous fund managers there really are I mean I, I the average person may have heard of like a handful but um, I'm sure that when they're you know they're having a look at a fund think should I put my money into it um, it's just a name it's not like it's you know, it's not like champions of British industry or something where you might know the chief exec because they're all in the papers all the time but you know your average fund manager outside of the perhaps the fund industry um, you know they're not known names really are they um, do, you, do you think that it, it actually it's um, you're kind of putting your faith in the in the brand of the asset manager more than an individual? I think you are to some respect and um, definitely agree. If I speak to friends and family that aren't within the investment industry, then there's probably only a, you know one or two managers they can name that have been in, in the press um, recently. I guess what um, the retail audience are relying on are independent professional um, either advice or um, kind of communication from people that spend their time doing this day in, day out, such as we do at AJ Bell and rely on our level of due diligence to help them um, steer them into the, into the correct funds. Yeah, I heard of someone saying um, you should really sort of consider the lead manager to be like a caretaker. That that's their role. They're not the superstar. Um, and then obviously when when they go, there's a natural process in place, and, they, and whoever's follows them can follow the same process and hopefully um, not deviate from from perhaps what achieved success in the past. Um, I mean, there there was one. One example that caught my eye—I don't know when it was—a year or two years ago, there was a there was a couple of fund managers, George and Georgina from Mighton. Um, they left, or they announced their, that they were going to leave their fund and go somewhere else. Um, but actually, the, they, they clearly were considered um, so important to the company because shares in the actual the parent company, Mighton absolutely plummeted on this announcement I, I, I've never seen that before mm. I don't know whether it's because Mighton's quite a small small business um, and you have just a, you know, the George and Georgina um, 
were deemed so crucial to the success of the wider business that their departure was um, clearly bad news. But um, apart from that, I can't really think of that, that many um, people leaving that you know, it, it, it would have a, an incredibly negative impact on a business. Yeah, I think um, definitely that that situation was, um, I'd say, em- overemphasized by the fact it was a boutique um, and possibly by the, by the amount of assets they were controlling. Um, and I guess that's an example of where um, possibly had the company itself had a house view and a philosophy that would mean others could have stepped into those shoes um, that might have been avoided. Um, but in that situation, it was much more down to um, the experience, the philosophy of those two fund managers in, in question that actually um, was really the, the way they raised assets for that fund because people trusted those two. So it was important when, when they left actually um, to the business. And so the idea, if you, if you invest in um, a private company, you potentially don't even know who, who who is running those very well. They might not have a, any profile at all. Um, actually, the appetite from investors to put their money into the private side of things seems to be growing. Um, we're now getting companies that are worth a billion dollars or more. Uh, this is the, the concept of your, your unicorns. Um, so what is it making it easier for investors to get into that industry at the moment? What's Yeah, I think um, one of the big things is that quite a lot of companies are choosing to stay private for longer. So rather than listing on the stock exchange and that being the kind of natural progression a certain distance into the company's creation, um, a lot of companies and company founders are deciding just to keep that company private. Um, Obviously, it's quite hard for the kind of man on the street investor or woman on the street investor um, to access a private company. These tend to be these big companies. So examples at the moment are things like Uber, Airbnb, Deliveroo, the takeaway and delivery company. Um, And it's quite hard for kind of normal investors to access those companies. But there's been a few funds that are are either launching at the moment or have launched um, where they're focusing on those private companies, I guess particularly because it's become a a bigger market with some pretty prominent names in there. But we've also seen a shift from some existing funds where they've increased the allocation that they're allowed to hold in these private companies. Typically, it tends to be investment trusts that do this because they are obviously closed-ended in structure so it's easier for them to invest in illiquid assets which which kind of private companies are one but Simon you must have seen a, a bit more of this recently so one example was Merion um, which is the new name for old mutual global investors launched an investment trust in this space and I think there's another one launching soon called Global Sustainability Trust from Aberdeen Standard Life but do you see a kind of appetite from investors for getting into these kind of private unlisted companies? Um, I think there definitely is. And anything that is a diversifier away from main markets um, may possibly help um, an individual's investment. So I think there's definitely appetite towards that area of the market. Um, I think it's also a case of maybe the fact that um, companies are listing later in their lifestyle or becoming more mature, um, that actually there's recognition that um, it is an area people can access and are willing to a bit more. Yeah, because I think previously it was kind of you thought of private companies that weren't yet listed and you thought of these kind of 
tiny, maybe slightly tin pot companies, but we've now got companies that are in the news every single day that are that are massive and are kind of big parts of our lives that are still choosing to be um, private and take on private investment. So I guess that might be why they've become a bit more kind of mainstream. One good example, I think, is Scottish Mortgage, um, which a couple of years ago increased the amount that it was allowed to have in these unquoted companies from 15% to 25%. Now, at the moment, it's still only got about 15% of its assets in these private companies. But I guess that shows some of the appetite to get in at the the early stage of these companies and maybe get, I, I guess their hope is to get bigger gains because you're investing when other people aren't. I think there definitely is. And, you know, I, I guess the question there is it's the liquidity premium. So people do need to be very careful and do need to make sure that they realise that their money is potentially being locked up for longer, longer time periods um, than maybe what they're used to if they're um, norm, normally looking at the more um, listed side of things. So people do be, need to be very careful about that liquidity. I mean, something like Scottish Mortgage, if I'm right, saying that they've got Airbnb in their portfolio. Um, you know, I guess from your average investor said, does it really matter to them that um, whether you know Airbnb is listed or not? It's in the portfolio, isn't it? So actually, it's 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 um, for them. It's a solution to to wanting to get exposure to that business, but. I guess you have to think of the downside is that it's only going to be a really tiny percentage of the overall portfolio. Um, And private businesses, it's really hard to, certainly on a general case, to see what they're doing. They don't report their accounts in the way that quoted companies will do. Um, There's questions about whether the government's government standards are are the same. Um, But I guess this this flip backs to you're in the hands of a a trusted fund manager. They should be the one that's constantly interacting with the with the companies and making sure they're still fit to be in the portfolio. Um, But you can you can definitely understand why people want to get hold of these, um, you know, invest in these uh, well-known names. Say they are the ones that are all over the news every day, aren't they? Sort of the, the disruptive companies that people get excited about I, I guess there's an important point as well you want to make sure that the um, companies um, are being independently valued as well so um, you know there is that independence to each line um, on that but you know to your point on the fund managers investing them um, you know we like to see some kind of track record which can which can always be difficult if a fund group launched something that's different to their um, typical funds however I'd say in this suggestion actually the team do have some experience in um, investing in um, unlisted names as they've had a couple of positions in their um, UK smaller companies um, portfolio before. I mean, the alternative to getting involved in these private companies is perhaps to look at crowdfunding, but um, th- you know, that's a debate for another day. There's there's quite a lot of um, risks or def- underappreciated risk with going down that route, particularly on the side of liquidity and um, it, getting access to the, perhaps the big companies you really want to at the point of um, the ones that are, have a unique strategy. It tends to be crowdfunding is the me too type um, propositions. But uh, maybe if, if there's enough demand, we'll uh, we'll take a look at crowdfunding another time. But I guess we've run out of time this week. So thanks ever so much for listening. Um, keep on sending your suggestions for future topics for us to cover. Or if you've got any ideas or comments, then please do email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. 
You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.